this episode of Game Design with Richard Pullman, we talked to a guy who calls himself Artificer about a game he made called Misfortune. It's going to be a great one. It's going to be about two hours of discussion. Really try to get into his system and understand why he made it the way he did and how it works because it's really quite an unusual system. It's an RPG, and, and I'll leave the details for the discussion, but I was really happy to have this interview. Uh, I met Artificer on GDG. This is the official GDG podcast until the boss tells me otherwise. And I'm super happy to talk to my best friends in the world over there on GDG, have them on the show, let them promote their stuff, talk to them about issues, game design stuff, you know, just really get into it because there's an infinite amount of things I want to talk about related to game design. And I don't see any better time in history to talk about game design than right now because everything sucks and we need to make some good games Hollywood sucks, video games suck, board games and tabletop games are actually pretty good compared to what else we have on offer. Social media is dying, you know, the giants are falling, and there needs to be a new generation of people that just stick together and put up some amazing stuff, and we can create that sort of furnace of creativity again and really talk to each other, create a language that works to discuss things. And, you know, that's sort of the ambition. you got to have this big dream about it. There's this view of tabletop role-playing games as being this sort of sewer of losers who never adapted to the modern thing. And so you've got, like, 4chan. Then you've got the board of traditional gaming. And then on that board, you've got an even smaller subsection of guys who want to develop their own games. And so it's like you're three levels deep, you see, into loser territory. And that's one perception of it, but I totally reject that. That's completely wrong. It's the opposite. That's where the kings reside. That's where the masters of the universe are. And we're going to design the best games you've ever seen. It's going to come out of nowhere. But if you tune into this podcast and you listen to these guys, you're going to have the cutting-edge insight into the best creative community on the internet, in the world. It's going to be GDG on Discord if you can find it. If not, it's okay because we don't need any more people. We got geniuses here. So only come in if you're a genius like everyone else and (laughs) we'll have you. And you know what? I just want to get into this interview. This is episode one, but it went so well. I know it's going to go great with everyone else that comes on, and we're going to have people back multiple times to follow up on things. There's a million different ways that this podcast can go. There's endless subjects to discuss, and I'm looking forward to discussing them with you guys, hearing what you think, your comments. You can leave them if you're listening on SoundCloud and they have that thing where you can leave comments right on the track. That's cool. However you want to leave them, leave them. And, you know, I want to hear from you and you're going to hear from me. So follow this and stay tuned because we're going to have a lot more down the road. Okay, so this is uh, episode one of the podcast and uh, I'm Richard Pullman. I'm here with Artificer. Uh, That's the name of your company and what you're going by yourself, right? Yes. Uh... My company is called Artificer Games. The it's a Finnish company because I'm a Finnish, but uh, 
I can't have websites yet because uh, because of some bureaucracy. Uh, but I'll be making those too. But and your yeah. game is uh, Misfortune. Yes, that's what I knew you as uh, Misfortunate on the yes. uh, on GDG for a long time, but. You changed your name now because the game that you're making is so close to being released that you didn't want to have the confusion, right? Yeah, I didn't have, want to have like the confusion of people. Uh, people usually just said that my name was Misfortune or the game was called Misfortunate. So I would have. I didn't that like mistake. that. <laughs> yeah, like everyone made that mistake. Like everyone. So, uh, I want to, like, uh, distance myself from the name of the game. While it will be my flagship product, product probably, because uh, it's a gen- generic game, so. Right, so it's a generic tabletop role-playing game system, right? Yes. And so you don't have uh, a particularly big uh, lore setup and people are required to integrate into their games that they would run with your system? Yeah. Uh, the idea behind the game is that you can basically run it without having any prep. It doesn't really require any uh, any prep beforehand. It, it can be... You can have prep. It can be good to have prep, but you don't need it. There's even rules for, like, uh, coming up with uh, the setting for the game, like, and the first scene of the game, like, yeah, they're in the game. So it kind of, it can generate uh, ideas and lore for the players? Well, I don't have, like, tables you can roll stuff on, but uh, it would work on a kind of voting system between the players and the GM, where someone gives a... Gives an idea, and uh, and other people can veto that idea if they don't like it. But that person who vetoes needs to give the next suggestion. Okay. Basically. Interesting. Uh, what made you want to design uh, the game that way? Because most people that I've seen who do uh, a tabletop role playing game, they have tons of ideas of lore and story and and a world they want to basically build as if they were the GM themselves, and they're so happy with their idea for a world that they're going to now turn it into a released game and present it that way, but you're going like the opposite way, it sounds like. Uh, Kind of. Uh, It's an optional rule, but like I've put it in there in case people don't have an idea what to do. It's a... How would I say? It's a... It's a mechanic, but you don't need to use it, like, you know, itself. Like, if you have all the stuff worked out, or if you have a setting that you want to run the game in already figured out, like, if you want to take it from some TV series or mm-hmm. anime or something, so you can do it like that. But Right, so, like, I have do- a world that I want to play in, and like, uh, the one that I want to use for my own game uh, that I'm designing. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be a... You have mechanical uh, solutions to integrate different settings into your set, your system. Yes and no, because uh, I actually try to... The idea of the system, like, in on itself, is uh, 
based on trying to simulate the narrative that is like the written ink on the paper. Oh, right, yes. Okay, I, I remember you talking about this. Um, yeah. It's like a narrative simulation, so you're basically recreating sort of uh, story beats and and the rhythm of a story regardless of what the setting is, and then the players bring the story themselves, right? Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you get the idea. Like, uh, the idea is that the game runs on the notion that the every role is you don't look about the you don't look at the world you don't look at how difficult this thing is but it's more more about going on about narrative stakes for example and uh could you give an the example game is, uh well like a if, traditional a traditional role playing game uh situation is like you're in a dungeon and there's a a gap you have to cross in the floor and in most games it would be well can you what is your character's jumping distance and what kind of tools do you have and then you have a difficulty rating and then you resolve yeah. it mechanically that way but it sounds like you would have a, a very different approach to that yeah uh, the previously i had a like more traditional difficulty but then I realized that the game's rules don't really support it. Uh, like, it's hard to tell the difficulty if you, if the characters, like, uh, power levels, in a sense, can be so wildly varying. Because the, you can have an immortal god as a character. Right. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't imbalance the game because the game works how it works. So, instead, in that kind of situation, like, uh, if you need to cross the gap, it's very easy to cross the gap if there's no stakes in it. Oh, okay. Like, uh, imagine that if you just, if you're just interested what's in there, then it's, uh, quite the easy role because there's not a lot of stakes. Of course, if there's, like, lava down below or something very dangerous, then the gap, there might be, uh, uh, the stake is in the fact that you you can't fail it because you'll get injured. But uh, and then that would make but, me wonder uh, who is determining what the stakes are. Is it the consensus of the party? Is it just things that are previously established by by the players, or is it there's a GM character or a GM person who would sort of know what the stakes are and be able to dictate that? Uh, the GM makes the call. But usually it's, uh, it should be kind of obvious. Like, uh, the stakes go higher, like, uh, because the idea of the game is that roles become harder when they are more important to the characters. That's, uh, that's because, uh, you can re-roll infinitely in the game. So that's an, another topic when we go to the dice of the game. But, Interesting. um, yeah, so, the idea is that, think about if there's the gap, and it's dangerous to fall down, but you're also chasing someone. Right. Suddenly it's a much harder, uh, uh, it's a much harder role because there are stakes in, in addition to possibly getting injured, it's losing the person who you're... So 
if this Jason. is like, let's say this is the climax of a, uh, you know, ten sessions, and this is the the key moment where you have to make this jump, and you're chasing this guy. Um, if you fail in that moment, because it's it's the stakes are so high. Is there a severe punishment, or what is the? How does re-rolling work in that case? You can explain the dice mechanic because now I'm very intrigued. What happens if uh, you win or fail in that situation? Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, the idea is that you can re-roll infinitely in the game. Basically, there are rules when you don't, but uh, it ties to the game's name, misfortune, because. Um, you know fate points in yes. most games. Right. Uh, misfortune is basically inverse fate points, where instead of having a certain number of fate points that you can use to re-roll, which is the usual kind, you can instead take misfortune, which you, you can imagine like, uh, well, you get lucky. So you, it's kind of like karma. So, you know, you get lu- lucky... Uh, and you can re-roll, but your misfortune goes up because there will be some kind of punishment later. Okay, so it's sort of kind tracking of. the number of times you cheat. Yes. And you can cheat infinitely. Like, even in a single roll, you can you can re-roll a single roll five times if you really want to. But the thing is, uh, the thing is, when you hit roll double once you roll 2d6 or 3d6 because... But 2d6 is the base roll. When you roll 2d... Uh, 2d6 and you roll snake eyes, basically, uh, you are punished by the amount that the you difference. have cheated, basically. Okay. So, so basically, you have a... Say you have uh, five... You cheat it five times and then you roll two ones. Then something bad happens to your character, which can be it can be uh, avoided with more bullshitting. Like uh, you can have plot armor. <laughs> okay. If you uh, because the uh, I wouldn't say mis- call misfortune so much of a meta currency in the game. More, it's more like a damage track. In, right, I can see the- how it would work as being um, the factor that you would want to obviously keep at a minimum, but you yeah. have to use it sometimes to succeed. That's the point. Like uh, uh, the game's main philosophy is that. You gotta be on your toes, and because the uh, I've changed the game, so the this time every time you roll, you start with a roll of two d six. So it's always one in thirty six that you fuck yourself up. Right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> ba- basically, so uh, and more misfortune you have, like uh, there are tiers of misfortune, basically. Like, at zero, nothing happens, of course, because you haven't cheated, basically. Right. And uh, from one to three, you get some situational dis- and, uh, disadvantage. Like, uh, uh, in that case, I'd imagine, like, if you're trying to jump the gap, the 
the role becomes infinitely more harder because the the side of the cliff that you're jumping from starts collapsing, for example. Right. Something okay. bad happens. And then if you get even more than that from four to six, misfortune, uh, you... Basically, if you don't do anything, like, you don't use plot armor or another character doesn't inspire you, basically, uh, you get thrown out of the scene, basically. Which oh. means that you, you're out of commission for a while, for some reason. Interesting. So the punishment almost becomes just being passive uh, and following along with what everybody else is doing for a while? Losing some agency, well, or is it not that severe? Well, the idea is that, like, uh, your character... Like, here's the thing, like, the player defines what the punishment that they get is, basically. Right, okay. But it has to be of of a certain severity, in a way. Hmm. And, uh, but when you go even higher from that, from seven and up, up till, until infinity, uh, if you don't do anything about it, your character is written out of story. How do you do something about it? Like, I'm imagining... If you, I would have a couple of misfortune points because I've cheated a couple times. Now I get to yep. this point where uh, I'm trying to make this jump across this gap. The GM decides that because the stakes are very high, he's going to start applying the punishment of the misfortune to this uh, situation, or does it automatically happen, or who decides? Oh, the role, It happens only when you roll... Double ones. Oh, that's Nowhere only... Else. Okay, okay, okay. So the... It just keeps on, like, uh, stacking like that. And every time you get punished by the misfortune, it is lowered by one entire severity. So, like, if you had five, it turns into three. Or if it if it's at three, it goes to zero, basically. Interesting. So, well... If you think about its name as misfortune, it means that you kind of, uh, instead of spending your luck, you spend your bad luck, basically. So when you decided to make this game, did you start with that in mind already, that you wanted to not try to simulate the world and events, but emphasize the stakes that the players decide you know, what matters to them, and then build a system around that? No. I can actually show you one of the older documents of the game. Sure. Uh, I'm very interested how this evolved. It has evolved a lot. Uh, like, I can show you the, literally the first version of the game. It's extremely old. Uh, where is it? It's a. I made it as a one sheer, basically, but it was way too long for that. Well, maybe not way too long, but. It was. So it started as the idea of a very simple system, but it wasn't uh, designed around forgetting the simulation of the world. It was still going to be 
Well, I'll let you show it if you want to show. Send me the file or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if I if I like yeah, I have like thirty of these <laughs> fucking things. So, uh, where's that? Well, while you're looking for that, I, that does make me curious about sure. your uh, your workflow because we wanted to talk about that. I want to ask you about that. Um, I'm yep. a, I'm a big fan of working on paper and pen as much as possible and I'll fill up notebooks of that and then I only try to use a computer and and uh, cloud storage and stuff like that when either I'm worried about losing something important or um, I want to be able to look at it across devices and stuff it's kind of a necessity to use the computer obviously but I try to do all my planning and brainstorming and, and figuring out solutions on pen and paper so I don't have uh, that much of a archive of the versions throughout time. It looks like you kind of started with making clear versions one after another with different documents. Well, it's more of like an, uh, it's just bloat basically because, uh, the game has changed so much and every time it's changed, uh, like, I like to, like instead of being like uh uh like a something like a planned uh design history it's right. more of like all the files that i've made on the way and every time i made changes i was like i wasn't sure whether the change was good so i uh, saved it as a copy because the game has changed immensely. You can just check that out. It's nothing like the current game. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, this is just two the, pages. Yeah, it's two pages. Uh, the you only need to read the first page. Really, the second page is just. It's just. Uh, <laughs> that was actually about integrating the game into your setting, but. Right. Okay. Because so. it doesn't do that anymore, so it, it, it's kind of different. Because the uh, the whole game began from the idea that I wanted to have a similar a similar clarity to uh, D100 games, where you have a number that you have to roll under. You know? Yeah. That's very clear. Like, you roll and you instantly know whether you succeeded or failed. Right. Yeah, this, this is... This then... This is very simple. It's, re it's very simple. And... The... But at the same time, I dislike a roll-under systems. So I was like, how can I make this game into a roll-over system? Which gave the idea of weaknesses, basically. Which was the like the first element of the game that I thought of, which is basically your normal stats but reversed. It's not in the game anymore, like at least in the sense that they are, they were like back in October 2016, but uh, they just got... Uh, so 2016 is when you started? October 2016. Yeah. So I've been doing this for one and a half, one and a, 
one and a, one and a half year now. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. And you're now at a point where you're pretty sure this is the final version, or how far would you say you still have to work on it? It's the final version, like a uh, final, final, final version. <laughs> like uh, I don't. At this point, I don't even care. Like, if I find out that the game just isn't fun, I'll just fix it in the second edition. I don't care or something. Right, because you you know that this works, right? Like, I'm assuming you've tested it somewhat. I've tested different versions of the game, and uh, people have liked it. So, like, the previous versions were, were a little different from the what is currently there, but uh, the mechanics itself have basically only morphed a little. The It has to feel good like, to get to a point where you're, you're confident enough in it that you can actually put it out and no, say it's the final version, and I think that's a smart idea to say, you know, because, I mean, really, what harm is there in releasing this as, as the final version if you're confident that it's good enough for a first version and then iterate on it and make updates and changes once people try it more. I mean, you really just need a good, uh, a good enough start. I know some people mm-hmm. will, some people have a very different attitude about that and they'll say, you know, you need to put out something as good as possible at the, at the start because people will judge it very quickly and then it can get a reputation for being bad and then no one will ever try a new version of it. But, I don't really see it that way. I think, you know, you got to put out something that's good enough. And if the people who do enjoy it, especially if they enjoy the core concept of it, and you have a very unique concept for what you're doing here, or at least unique enough, mm-hmm. that if they like that concept, they're going to want to help you to make it better if they like the idea at all. So I think it's probably safe to release this, see how people react to it, and then make a new version if you feel like it's necessary. Yeah. Um, like, uh, the reason why I have so many versions of the game, like, this isn't the first time that I'm, I've am i said that this game is already ready. Because uh, the first time that happened was about a year ago. I was quite sure that the game was ready. But then I just ran into some production issue, issues. and uh, And instead of just trying to, like, stall the game, like, not do anything with it, like, uh, put it in the drawer and wait until the pr- production issues basically go away. Right. I decided to, like, try to make it better, and I've been making it better a lot. Like, uh, for a game that's in its current form, like, 4,000 words, I put hundreds of hours into it. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, my game. I've quote unquote been working on it for around ten years, but there was years there where I felt so stuck in what I was doing, and I didn't know how to how to break out of it. That really, the some of those years were completely dead. I mean, nothing really happened on it. And there were a couple times when I also thought I was close to finished, and then you know, this is the first time I've really put my mind into developing my game all the way to the end and so you do have to hit 
many points where you realize it's not done yet. Um, and that's the whole learning experience. And I don't pretend like I'm done learning how to design games or RPGs at all. I don't know how you feel if you've done something similar to this in the past. Have you made any RPG systems like this before? Uh, yeah. Uh, Misfortune isn't the first game I've made, but it's like, perhaps like, fourth that I've, like, uh, almost finished. And, uh, the word almost finished is a thing that haunts me, really. Um, uh, I had one system twice as long as Misfortune. Hmm. And then I decided that if it just wasn't good. I just didn't feel it. Right. Another, I, I just didn't feel it. And then, or more like, I've abandoned the games because I've uh, lost interest in them. But with Misfortune, I realized that, well, this is something different enough that, like, uh, even if I lost interest to it, at points I did, I was really fucking tired with the game, like, uh, well, not not about a year ago, but, like, uh, half a year ago, I was pretty done with the game in a way that I just didn't want to see it. Hmm. But then I had a breakthrough, and now I enjoy the game, like, uh, because uh, uh, when I had have these breakthroughs, I usually get some realization of how to make the game better, and... It actually. Hmm. What, what How do would, I say? What would the breakthrough be in this case? Because I'm curious. Because that sounds like something that you know. I think a lot of people probably experience when they're designing a game, especially for a, a longer period of time. And at a you start doubting it a lot, and then you know that there is a problem, but you don't know how to get out of it. And then there's like that breakthrough moment. Yeah. Um. That breakthrough moment was traits. Um, if you look at the older version, there's weaknesses, problems, saving graces, and actually, I think they were called key items. I thought there was missing uh, items. Missing items. Oh, it was, it was so old, it was missing items. Jesus, <laughs> that's old. Oh my god, I didn't even remember that. And, and secrets, all right. Uh, basically, the idea is that I, uh, in time, I combined missing items and problems. That became one thing. Then I combined, uh, I just made secrets into, I basically turned secrets into another, uh, another mechanic. It's kind of weird that you, if you actually look at this first draft of the game, basically, uh, you actually can see all the things that, like, led up to the current version of the game. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, I can see. I mean, I don't know how your current system works in detail. We haven't really talked about the mechanics. Like, we haven't talked about weaknesses, missing items, and secrets, yeah. and all these things. But my general understanding of it, if I'm correct, is that when you're building a character, most games you try to build the best 
character you possibly can and uh, give them the best items and max them out. Yeah. And then in this one, it looks like you're kind of creating a bunch of problems for yourself. Yeah. Because, uh, well, the idea, like, the first idea of the game was to make failing fun. Like, oh, yeah. because, okay. you know, those hijinks that happen to people when they play, they're actually kind of fun. So, you know, it, it was supposed to be, like, kind of around that. Uh, but the game has changed, and, well, it's still about that. I really want that to happen, like, uh, especially with the uh, current rolling mechanic. I really like the idea that uh, when you roll uh, to, like, fail a roll, it means that you give up. It means that your In character has given up? Well, not technically. It just means that you have you have to, as a player, give up. You, ha- you have... Because you can re-roll infinite, infinitely, but you just have to like oh, right. go and you're saying that be you like, really fail until you give up. Basically, like uh, until then, there's until you decide as a player, I'm done. To not re-roll, you can right. always re-roll, which like gives the game a kind of unique tinge in a way. Like because in a normal game, you roll. And you maybe think like, do I have enough fate points to re-roll or do I want to save them? Right. But like here the idea is that... You kind of save them and hoard them and hope that, you know, uh, you never have to use them. And then, you know, maybe you you spend them all on something that you feel like you have to use them, but now you don't have any. And here it's like... Just keep you, you decide how much misfortune you want to get, and yeah. that will kind of re- represent in in a very clear way how important something was to you or your character, because obviously they wouldn't keep trying if it wasn't important to them. Yes, that is basically the crux of the game. Basically, it's the what I. After I finished finished the first traps and after I implemented the despair mechanic, can you explain which, that? Well, uh, the despair mechanic was the original version of uh, uh, misfortune. It was a much more direct way of handling it. Uh, it had it was different in the way that wait don't I don't I have it here? I can't find it. Anyway, the despair basically worked uh, like misfortune, so you could, like, you know, succeed when you shouldn't. But it was supposed to have, like, directly consequences. Like, uh, you would use desperation to succeed, but it would have some bad effect later on, regardless of... Like, you didn't need to roll snake eyes for it to happen. It it was just the thing that would happen. Okay, yeah. But then I just wanted to iterate it and kind of make it more into... Make it more suspenseful, basically. So despair was an old concept, and and that changed into misfortune. And now 
when you have misfortune, yes. what, what again are the consequences for having more misfortune? Because I think I got confused before with the snake uh. eyes being, uh, this sort of critical fail, but yes. otherwise, does misfortune play a role in sort of normal activities when, if you, unless you, no. even if you don't roll snake eyes? No, it doesn't. Like, the only thing uh, it does is have the... It just puts the players on edge. Right, because you know that any, at any point, your critical fail, if, I'm a, if I call it that, yeah, will suddenly bring back all of this karma, as you said. Now, that makes a lot more sense. Now I understand it better. Yeah. And I looked in the early, this first version that you that you showed me here, you had heart damage and strain damage. Is that still yeah. a thing? No, 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 no. It's not a thing anymore. Uh, everything has been replaced with misfortune. And, like, the thing is, if your character gets injured, for example, that's the player's choice. You can fall off a cliff and not get injured. Why? It just has, It just happens sometimes. But you are rewarded if you are injured, basically. So... So would the, would a character like when if a character literally dies or is in a situation where it only makes sense that that character would die? In a sense, you have no choice but to cheat until your character survives and then accept that amount of misfortune. Is that not re- logical? Well, well, how would I say like? I wouldn't say that the game would actually necessitate that. Like, you can always pull some bullshit. Like, even if a dude falls in the lava and you're like, yeah, he's dead. Like, in some stories, that that guy will come back with some <laughs> bullshit. So that's the point. Like, <laughs> like okay. because you... Because I'm, like, uh, trying to simulate na- narratives. Is that what like, you said before, matter. that your character just sort of leaves the narrative? Yep, it because, leaves the narrative. Because if your character, instead of dying per se, and it's official that the character's dead, you just seemingly die, yep. then the story can still move on, and eventually this character is re- reintroduced as a living skeleton or something. <laughs> yeah, it's possible, but usually... Uh, I've actually, I actually have rules for it in the game, like, uh, uh, well, not rules, more like guidelines, where the GM can have a campaign where you are supposed to, like, uh, or a story, or a game session, well, not, usually not one session is not enough, but, like, uh, an entire story where a, a singular character is brought back, back. because, you, you know, a character can be written out in myriads of ways, like, at least from the player character story like one of the one of my favorite ones like for that is that you can have a character that is secretly a traitor right so basically you can have that when all the misfortune stacks up you betray the party basically and and then if the players want to have the character back they need to somehow you know, get them back back onto their side, basically. They have to so, role-play the logic of this twist that was introduced and try to come up with the bullshit their way into no. a logical explanation of 
how the character would come back in a way, right? Well... Or would it just be sort of automatic and that's the reason why he's back? Well, the idea is that bringing characters back is difficult. Uh, and uh, it's well, what I... How much of it... Because I'm trying to imagine here my character dies. Yep. Let's say that there's just, uh, you know... Guys with guns, Dan- and, and we're doing something dangerous, and I got shot, and my character, uh, yeah. you know, can't escape it, and my I decide I'm not going to cheat anymore. I'm going to, you know, let this character die, essentially. Yeah, basically, the character is left bleeding out into the forest while the others run away, basically. Okay, so then it's sort of a loose basically. end, is what I would call that, in a... In a plot, well, it's like a what you don't. Well, it's apparent well, that he probably died, but it's not really official because he didn't. Well, it. well, you can you can do it in several ways. Like uh, if you want to make it so that the character dies, the character can die. Like, like I'm as not trying player? to like uh, dissuade that. Like, like as, a, uh, as a player, as a player, the player chooses how the character goes out. The Players choose a lot of things in the game. Like, uh, uh, if your character is shown out of the scene, basically, uh, and something doesn't bring them back, uh, the player chooses how it happens, basically. Uh, usually, uh, the, of course, GM would dissuade the stuff that would, like, directly, would be directly advantageous to the players, other players, like, uh, I don't know, bur- bursting through a wall, like uh, and opening a opening a hole into a place where you know something good. I know, no, 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 not not stuff like that. But like the uh, the idea is that like the players kind of beforehand like plan what kind of stuff could happen to their character. Right. So, like, if your character is a traitor, you you would kind of like uh, discuss, maybe like discuss with your GM about it. Well, you don't even need to discuss with your GM about it. You can just put to your character sheet that you're a fucking traitor, and when the thing happens, <laughs> you just stab your friends in the back, and the GM had like will try to do something about it. And so, but there would be sort of a forewarning there that. For the sake of the GM, they can at least anticipate this yeah. some happening at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the GM should be like kind of on top of some things, but as the game's nature dictates, like the char- characters can reveal aspects of themselves. That that's like another mechanic. Like, I'm noticing uh, in this early document that you shared with me that secrets is one of the sections. Yes, and, secrets and I- is one of the sections. But it turned, basically secrets got turned into the entire character creation, if that makes sense. Uh, because, uh, like the metaphor that I use always when I talk about the games, game and the characters in it is a book. When you open the first, like, uh, page of the book, like, you open it. You read the first words, you Maybe hear a name or two, but you don't know shit about these characters. Right, you're making so, a lot of assumptions. Well, of course, 
it's a new book. Like it's a new book from a new series that you don't. Right, you're you trying. You're trying to discover what these characters actually are as you read. And yeah. So what you want at the start of a story is curiosity and and you know to get interested in them, but not to know everything. Yeah. So your so, game is sort of designed around the idea of creating a bunch of mysteries and potential that can reveal itself through the game mechanics. Yeah. Like, uh, the players are rewarded if they uh, play off their characters' mysteries well, basically. it's I call it foreshadowing, basically. So oh, Okay, yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah, so basically, like, the characters have traits, and if you foreshadow them, you are rewarded with additional trait points, which you can use to, like, uh, get traits. Like, uh, traits are all the, all the good and bad things. And you can have good or bad things. And if you, uh, foreshadowing, like, one of my favorite examples in the, like, one which I put into the game a lot is werewolf. Like, if your character is a werewolf, uh, <laughs> you can play it up before you turn into a werewolf. So, right. you know. So. You have uh, some sort of weird reference. Your character starts talking about something that, you know, would the other the, the other players literally wouldn't know what's on your character sheet and wouldn't know these secrets? Or is it kind of a big joke amongst the party that, yeah, we all know he's a werewolf and we're all waiting for the moment where it comes out? Well, it can go either way, but usually the more impact the twist has, like, like you're rewarded only if your foreshadowing is, like, well executed. Basically, the players vote. When a character reveals a trait, the players and the GM kind of vote that where it was, a like, a whether where, where the thing was well foreshadowed, and wow. they will get bonuses if the thing was. That's, so this is very different from a normal RPG. I can really see how this justifies a a, no, a different system. I can that's very intriguing. It seems like it's a lot more uh it would it would be best played with a group of friends who Definitely. don't want to exploit anything. Your motivation for playing it would be very different from the power gamer mentality, which kind of leads me into the question of what you think about the whole uh, GNS concept and different philosophies of game design, because you're not really... You're simulating, I guess, narrative kind of uh, tropes yeah. and tendencies, but I wouldn't consider that to be simulation as other people use the word well yeah the like whether it's a simulationist game or a narrativist game in a, in a sense like uh, uh, the thing is most narrativist games like uh, like like the definition in the traditional DNS is that the narrativist games have like uh, uh, tendency to, for the GM to have a story. Or, whereas I'm trying to, like, make the game focus on the characters. Right, because 100%. when you make your characters, you're, 
you're literally building up, you know, mysteries and then foreshadowing. So, I mean, how can you can't really build a story? Uh, you can't have the GM dictate the story that much if all of the stats and character properties are in the hands of the, the players and they've decided these things. Yeah, the. Uh, how how do I say? Like um, the uh, entirety of the game is supposed to be like the. It's based solely on the interplay of the GM and the players. Like uh, it's supposed to be kind of like the uh, players trying to surprise the GM and other players, and the GM trying to surprise the players. Basically, like. Uh, like, like, that's the kind of thing that I want in the game. Right, because there's uh, not... the I guess the normal, you know, traditional RPG would be that there's... Your, everybody puts their minds together to imagine a fictional world that is independent of any particular individual, and everybody contributes to their idea of what happens in these situations, and then you sort of have the GM negotiate and... and referee the results mm. but this is a lot more personal and social about not that there's the objective world that is independent but the narrative being pushed by players basically yeah uh, but you that's why you don't think, yeah. like, how much do you think personally, how interested are you even in the idea of the GNS thing? Because I know at this point, I think a lot of people see it as being outdated or quaint. And I personally, mm. I, th I find it very interesting and I, I'm glad that I read it, but I'm not going to try to consciously you know, design according to it as if it's the authority on the subject. Uh, yeah, it's uh, more of a... I would think of it more of, more of as a discussion piece, maybe. Like, a, uh, like you can talk about the me mechanics and how, like... Uh, it can work as, a, like, a framework for a discussion. Like, if you're talking probably. about certain types of players and stuff. Yeah, I would, I would but, think that's probably a good way of looking at it. Yeah, but like, uh, but the thing is that like each table works differently, so you can't really like you can talk about individual players and maybe even tables, but like trying to gun qu quantify the uh, whole thing into like uh, into a game, it's quite rare that the game actually. Like, uh, you can actually, like, take the game's rules and define whether it's one or the other. That's because, in the end, the game itself happens between the players and the GM. Yeah. And a lot of these, the game theorizing and game design theories, they ultimately just rest on assumptions about player types and... As soon as that doesn't hold true in a group, you know, it's sort of like a mistake to design a game around this one set of assumptions about what players are motivated by. And yeah, definitely. What's going to end up happening realistically is that, you know, if five different groups 
play the same game in the same system, there'll be five different ways it's interpreted and applied and certain pieces will be ignored and certain pieces will be emphasized and they're going to find the pieces of it that they like. And I think mm. that the it's smart in a situation like yours to have something that's so fundamentally different and interesting that uh, you don't... It's very clear that you wouldn't play your game to have that traditional experience. Uh, yeah, definitely not. Like, uh, uh, like I don't want to go on too much about like how unique my game is because uh, uh, in the end everything's being done. But like, uh, I had like a very clear vision of uh, like, or more like as the year and a half of my development time has gone on, like, my vision of what I want from the game has become really clear. Like, I wanted to, like, simulate ink on paper. It's... It's what... And this is what I end up with. And actually, that brings to another point, that the idea of games developing themselves... Oh, right, yes. You wanted to talk about uh, emergent mechanics. Well, they're a little different, but they do kind of uh, connect, because uh, the games developing themselves kind of means that uh, when you work on a project, like, if you just let it sit in on your mind, like Misfortune has sat a lot in my mind, uh, you'll come up with novel ways to, like, solve things in it. Like, uh, the game optimizes itself when you develop it, because the, you kind of subconsciously realize the better ways to do stuff. Right, you're constantly questioning and, and you know, trying to iterate and, yeah, I, I see what you mean there. And so, yeah. you, you're kind of saying you uh, believe that there should just be a natural sort of uh, erosion of things that can't hold up under scrutiny and probably emphasis on things that you realize you want to emphasize more in the game and you don't want to have a, a rigid philosophy going into it like maybe there is somebody who says GNS says this is true so I should design my game accordingly or other game theories yeah, like, uh, well, how do I say it? Like, I'm inclined to, like, uh, just focus on the things that I see are important in the game. Like, uh, it, it like, like, if some people want to design their game around, like, things like control groups and stuff, yeah, not going to really... Well, I don't know. D&D 5th edition has <laughs> been quite successful. Well, but... Yeah, I mean, you. I think either you, you can get a lot done and put out a successful product with all sorts of different philosophies, but, you know, I'm just trying to understand your own approach to it yeah. because obviously you don't yeah. have a huge team and different groups of people that you're consulting as a you know, professional... I mean, we're all just everybody. Uh, this in this G GDG community is 
trying to figure out their own way to push through the entire course of the development of a game, which is a very challenging task, I think. So you can't. Yeah. You have to just find what works for your own development style, but obviously you want to listen to uh, different philosophies. If it helps you, it helps you. If not, if not. But you have. Yeah. Uh, you had a vision like, very early on, obviously. Yeah. Like, uh, you can see how, how the. Like, I had a nugget of an idea with the like the first design document like you can, you can see it like i have an i had a nugget of an idea mm-hmm. but i didn't really know what the idea was and i've just been kind of uncovering that idea this one yeah. and a half year it's kind of uh maybe this sounds pretentious i don't know but it just does kind of remind me of the idea of the sculpture where you, there's just a block of stone but in your mind there's something underneath there, and as you're chiseling away at it, you sort of realize what you want from it and what what's underneath there. It's like you're un, you're revealing it as you chisel yeah. away at things. Yeah, uh, that actually does uh, very well segue to the idea of design by subtraction, basically. Yeah, uh, like uh, which just means that. While you make the game, you just try to condense it. Like, always try to condense it. Like, like being very ruthless with it. Like, if you think that there's a mechanic that you don't think that fits the tone of the game, you just cut it. You don't even try to reiterate it some some way. Uh, unless you can come up with a way to put it in back, like, put it back better. Right. But if it, like, doesn't support the game's like vision, you just you just shizzle it away, basically. And uh that's been pretty much how I've made misfortune. Even like uh you can see that design document that I, the the first one, it's really short. It's one page long. But it's not actually that much shorter than my current version of the game. Like uh uh my current version of the game is 4,000 words, and if I don't remember incorrectly, that version is somewhere around 1,000 words. And... Uh, let's see. And it's weird that even as a... Uh, yeah, about thousand words. That those two pages. Like, uh, wait, no, it's more than that. Actually, it's almost two thousand. Like, uh, yeah, almost two thousand. So the idea is that at its height of its like uh, complexity or length. More like uh, misfortune was only six thousand words long. Oh yeah, that's quite. That's still quite short. Yeah, but no even after that, I just kept cutting things away from it because I I just felt that I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. And, and so, would you say that now you're when you put this out? Uh, let's say you get feedback, and you know somebody. There's demand, some sort of demand for more. 
do you think you do expansions of different things or expand on different things? Uh, is it that kind of game that you would expand on? Like if people want special rules for things or is it designed? It's cause it seems to me like it's almost designed to be immune to those concerns of, you know, how does a vehicle operate and these sort of like mechanics in that sense, it's more narrative mechanics so it seems to me like it wouldn't need much expansion. Yeah, like, uh, the game has evolved, really. So, like, it has evolved into a state where I think uh, I can only make it better. I cannot make it bigger hmm. at this point anymore. Like, uh, uh, like I can maybe have some some... Mechanics. If I come up with some novel things to like uh, uh, to like simulate some things, like uh, I don't, I don't actually have anything in mind. What I could simulate, <laughs> of course, if if I had ideas, what I couldn't simulate with it, I would have made something about it. But like, if if a thing comes up that I'll just go up, I can go up to and say. My game can't do that. At that point, like, I can start thinking how it could. Like, uh, Misfortune has really weird, like, the mechanics that are there. Like, I've discovered things from the mechanics that I've written after the fact. Like, for example, like, uh, you know the comic relief character. Yeah. Yeah. Um... How would a comic relief character work in a uh, in misfortune? Huh. Well, they wouldn't take. Uh, they would have probably a uh, lots of negative traits, maybe some good good ones, and uh, they would almost never use misfortune. Oh right, because they accept a high amount of failure. Yeah. And what? Is a prevalent theme of comic relief characters. They don't die. <laughs> right. They they so, fail a lot, but they don't die. Yeah, or die, or like they they can get injured maybe, but they don't like die. <laughs> or yeah, they seem to always. Written, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, like and similarly, like. Uh, if you have an action hero, ac- the action hero is much more prone to die than the uh, comic relief character, which is kind of an ag- accomplishment in on itself, because you would think the character who fails a lot is more inclined to fa- to die, in a sense, in a game. That's very but, interesting, because the, the yeah. hero in your system, if you're trying to play the archetype or stereotype of the the badass who doesn't fail at things, you're going to yeah. ultimately be getting misfortune a lot. And because you're going to have to cheat to, to show those results yeah. that you didn't fail. But then when yeah. you hit the snake eyes or the, the critical fail, now all of those misfortune points add up at once. Mm. And so that's the moment where your character has the, the major crisis and might die. Right. Basically, so like the more a character you, characters use misfortune, the 
like bigger deal the crisis they meet are right, right. like uh and uh there's actually an interesting mechanic like uh if you think about anime tropes like uh have you watched thing at the baguran lagan thing at the black uh, what thing in top baguran lagan no i have not all right uh well there's this character uh who you think is the main character uh the big brother uh not well not really big brother but like uh like the figurative big brother the right. real main character who is like a real badass and uh uh in a time of like need that character inspires the main character into succeeding basically when they were just about to fail that would be like in my game that would be when your character had like a massive amounts of misfortune and got snake eyes right but what happened is that that character inspired uh like the big brother character like uh inspired the main character basically so what then happened was well spoilers <laughs> from a from a more than 10 year old anime series that the uh big brother type character Gamina uh, dies while like doing badass things so in a way i that that's been like one of the things that i kept in mind like that scene in on itself uh because emotional stakes and impact yeah. through the mechanics uh, instead yeah. of having the logic of the situation itself be what dictates yeah. everything there's a narrative uh foreshadowing and then uh yeah and the thread so inspiring as a mechanic means that you take someone else's misfortune so you cut out there for a bit you take somebody else's misfortune yes okay you like basically well basically it's it's the you know other characters screams screams at another when they're failing mm mm-hmm. like uh trying to inspire them but it's quite often that the something bad happens to that character who inspires the other <laughs> like later on yeah like that's interesting I yeah i'm see, trying to yeah this, i i imagine that's the kinds of breakthroughs that you would have over time as you're designing this is is that the logic of your own system can recreate scenes and ideas in yeah, ways yeah. that you know most games hope to somehow recreate and it ends up having a very forced feeling when let's say a, a dungeon master in playing dungeons and dragons or something you know wants to create and has in mind before the session even starts they want to create this emotional moment but the situation doesn't really make sense to justify that happening and so you get this sort of weirdly scripted feeling in the, what is supposed to quote unquote be a, like a more of a simulation yeah i've seen that and it, it it's always bothered me that it's like somebody decided this was where their character was going to be very heroic and this person was going to make a sacrifice but it that's not what the system is designed to create it's designed to simulate you know probability and realism 
Mm. I get what you mean. <laughs> because that's the kind of thing that I went striving for. Like, I wanted to, like, be able to, like, have a system that, like, really uh, could take the emotional moments of TV series, movies, and stuff, and, like, flesh them out into, like, real things that happen. Like, things that can happen in the game without, like, a hyperbole of telling it afterwards. Because, of course, if some emotional moment happens in D&D, when you tell, tell about it to someone else, it sounds much more dramatic than maybe it was in the, like, when you were playing. Yeah. So... Well, that makes that leads me to a different question I had about this. Is uh, what was there something like you were playing a different game, maybe, and you realized that it wasn't uh, that there was you needed to make your system because that system wasn't creating these moments effectively the way that you thought an RPG should? Was it born out of like a, a, a disappointment with a, with different systems or was it just you thought you could make this system work? Well, uh, the thing is, uh, the weird thing is, like, there's nothing, I have no, I had no, like, a revel- revelatory moment where I had to think about, like, I gotta make this system. No. It all started when I thought about the dice mechanic and wanted to make something that where high rolls are good, but the roll is obvious from the beginning. It's, yeah, it started from that. Like, now I'm here. I don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, uh, like, I started admiring my system because, uh, like, at times, uh, I, I've struggled to understand how my system's mechanics work. (laughs) <laughs> like it, it, it's like that's why I, I told you about like the game, a... game developing itself because the <laughs> like when I at one point when I was working on the game if I wasn't actively working on the game I didn't I couldn't really explain the systems to you yeah okay I can see that because it's it's a very abstract sort of concept and then the mechanics are also abstract and based on story logic so if you're not a writer or uh, somebody who deconstructs stories it's it's actually hard to understand i mean i understand when you say foreshadowing and and you mm-hmm. know how you would set up a character at the start, at character creation, in order to create these little seeds that can grow as you play, and they get revealed at certain key moments, and how that would tie in. But I can see how that would be very difficult to explain. Yeah, like uh, one thing that like uh, was kind of prevalent in the previous versions of the game was that I had a disclaimer that if you're used to playing role-playing games, this game will confuse you. Mm. Because the game worked on, like, so much with the different logic than usual ga- your usual games. Right. That, like, in a way, it was easier to ex- 
like uh, to explain the game to someone who hasn't played a lot of, a lot of RPGs than it that, is yeah. to someone who has. Like, I mean, uh, in a way, you, I would not to take anything away from your game. If I say this, it seems like uh, like I'm reducing it, but it seems almost like a social, what somebody would call a social game, not a role playing game, in the sense that there are so many established traditional things that are in role-playing games but there are like drinking games and and card games and board games that have come out that are much more flexible and approach things from very different angles and they're designed to get reactions out of people and have a group of friends you know uh, challenge each other and improvise a lot more but not take it as seriously about the the simulated world so in that sense i think in those games are always those games that are like social games they're always much more popular and broad and accessible to people who don't mm-hmm. have those things and i can see this sort of fitting in between a traditional rpg and those sorts of games where i'm sure you could play your system for a long time and develop plots and characters mm-hmm. but so and then that doesn't happen in these social games it's a pretty shallow thing but mm. this seems like it would have enough mechanical um structure to handle mm-hmm. a long story or an episodic sort of story but um still be accessible in, in, once you do understand the logic of it, which which uses a simpler logic, but a, a very different kind than most. I, yeah, I look forward, do you think that when you release this, I'm guessing you're going to release it somewhere that people can pay for it? Yep. And, uh, well, yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead. Just say, uh, well, I'm going to release on Drive to RPG at least. Right. And as pay what you want, actually. Oh, okay. So people don't need to pay for it, really. I wonder, I, I really am curious what uh, the GDG community will think of it once it's released. I'm very curious about it. I love when I see people trying to make uh, RPGs and systems that aren't just a clone of something else. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, we will see. Uh, maybe it will. Maybe it will become a something of a discussion in later episodes. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, uh, but um, what was I going on about? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm really like planning on making something that. Uh, like, while not necessarily something to draw new people into the hobby, because it's such a different game that if you start playing Misfortune and then you try to jump into D&D, you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, it's a, a wholly different, like, sort of game, in a sense. Yeah. That, uh, like, I'm trying to make it, like, in a way, into its, into its own thing, but more like, I'm not actively trying to make it into its own thing. It just has become like that. So uh, I'm just 
always thought about like what's good for the system and what will what will make the idea go forward in a way like I always wanted to just push on forward and try to make the game in the into the into its own little thing I'm curious like, do you have actually I have I've basically two questions do you have you, how much help do you think would you say you've actually gotten from GDG or I don't know if you were on the TG uh, Discord channel as well. I think you were. And yeah, I've been there. And so, mm. how much actual help do you think you've gotten from people there? Because even though I saw you talk about it on there, and I was curious, and I seem to remember, you know, trying to contribute ideas. Obviously, I didn't really grasp it until now. Do you think people well, actually understand it well enough that you got some help there? Because it, it, people will try to help, but they need to understand the real concept. Well, uh, I'm a person who helps others a lot on GDG. Like, on the... Well, on the TG's Discord channel, I wasn't so active because the, the dev channel was a mess. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but like, on actual GDG threads and... Uh, on the Discord channel, I'm trying to help people out as much as I can. So, uh, uh, in turn, like, I've also learned how to ask for help, in a way. So, I've always, when I've uh, asked for, like, uh, opinions on something, I, I've always tried to come, come to it from an angle that would make sense to a game designer. Like, uh, not from like uh like even though the mechanic how would I say it? Like even though the mechanic itself might not like represent like normal RPG playing, like uh but I would still try to like make the question in into a form that if I get an answer I can get something out of it. Yeah, it's like, you know that's I've done that myself a lot because I don't uh personally my philosophy on Game design has a lot to do with managing my own energy and my own um, uh, negative tendencies in design. And I don't want to reveal a lot about my system early on and get feedback one way or the other on specific details because I've realized in the past, I've tried to design you know quite a, quite a few games in the past, and I'll go and immediately, as soon as I have ideas, I'll go and tell people about it and a part of my brain just says okay you got feedback on that that was a good idea that was a bad idea and i actually lose interest in fully developing them and putting them out properly because i've already experienced the feedback and in a way that's what my brain wants to do and All right so when i come when i've been doing recently and i've been doing with my current system is exactly what you said, trying to ask questions but not directly with having to explain a lot of other things. Um, ask it in a general way or in a way that touches on the principle of the subject but doesn't require the full explanation for somebody to be on the same page as me. Yeah. It's tricky. I, I, it's tricky. 
I like I like GDG a lot, and uh, that's why I wanted to do this this podcast and talk to different people on there because uh, it's a very active Discord, and you get to know people and their philosophies. But I feel like a lot everybody's game is so is going to be so different and requires so much knowledge to properly understand that even people who explain, try to explain everything about their system, you know, it's almost impossible to get strangers to understand what you're really talking about. So a lot of the discussion that happens is sort of indirect. It's sort of the common ground principles behind the design. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Like the, uh, GDG channels do have a tendency to like, uh, meander a lot, like, uh, meander on an issue like like you might think like of course sometimes it's just someone ranting about things they don't like but sometimes there might be like uh, actual information there like, like that people just want feedback on but they don't want to like uh, talk too much about it like it's almost like there's a language that you know we all have to try to learn and uh, share with each other where I've noticed, you know, people will just point at a different existing system and say, well, this is how this system handled that. And that's sort of the language that you have to use because you can't explain your entire system every time you want to ask a question. And the other people are only going to understand things that are already established, other games and whatever. So there's like you have to have a reference point and a starting point, and it's a very interesting discussion. I, that's why I like even just uh, lurking and you know reading other people's discussions that they're having because uh, I feel like everybody's trying to learn the most effective way to get useful feedback and help each other in something as complicated and poorly um, explored as as game design because there's really a very almost I don't know it seems like a very simple basic language that has been developed around it. it's like people still just talk about fun and if yeah. something is fun then it's fun and it's like it's like you know fun when you see it and if somebody smiled then it's a good game it's like that's such a basic way of approaching something as complicated as game design yeah. Yeah. The the uh, like uh, game design is just like like as people have said like a uh, table of game design is like thirty years uh, like a uh, what what is it like dragging behind thirty years from video game design in a way like uh, from an academic standpoint like we have almost no established stuff other than. GNS, which has been like uh, universally like either either like uh, accepted or uh, denied, right? Like, and that's kind of the fact that GNS is still this um, starting point for debating and discussing game design. Really tells you how simple and and unexplored the whole thing really is academically because. Even looking at it, it 
originally, it didn't even present itself as being that much of a authority. But there, what else can you point to? I mean, there's really, I mean, there are other things. I know there's other people have done uh, profiles of different player types, and there are yep. panels and discussions that you know we share in GDG to try to inspire people and just get more articulated uh, language for using to discuss game design, but that's something I'm always interested in. And I think Discord and this GDG channel, uh, GDG channel is really has the potential to do a lot of good uh, when all of us kind of are putting our minds together to try to help each other with our systems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. Like, uh, I don't think much of these really like even exist. Like, you know, groups of people who with a, uh, like, uh, interest in like game design who are all basically making their own systems, people at other stages of development. Like, I, I tried when, to find them. I mean, I, I didn't end up at, at TG and, and GDG because it was, you know, the first thing I stumbled onto. I looked a, a lot all over the place and it was like, there was the forge, I guess. And oh. that was, uh, that's gone and buried now. And it's like, there's, I found yeah. like two other forums where people are kind of trying to do it, but, uh, there's really not a lot out there from what I can tell. Yeah. At least for, for like, uh, quick feedback. Right. Like, uh, usually it's like, usually better for like very lengthy stuff like, uh, like RPG.net and, uh, and, uh, well, there's of course Reddit. But, you yeah. know, yeah, but yeah, and like, I think that's yeah. one of the things is that the long, you, all of those different formats, message boards and forums and stuff, they promote a very long winded, uh, explaining and they sort of reward, um, they, re they don't reward quick feedback and strong opinions as much as how you can phrase things and present it in a way that sounds very yeah. formal and official and it's much more pretentious. I mean, that's why <laughs> 4chan and like slash TG is, it's impossible to do any of that there. You can't afford to have long posts and you yeah. have to make your point quickly. And that's obviously why people who use 4chan prefer it so much over Reddit and these other message board systems that, yeah. you know, people think they're celebrities because they write long posts in and make yeah. blog posts on these forums every day and they spend all that's the other thing i found interesting about gdg is that because you're just talking to whoever's there at the moment and they'll catch up and you catch up later on and and it's all moving so quickly and same with with tg you you have you can't sit there and linger and spend your whole free time making these long posts that are supposed to impress people, you got to make a point and move on. And in, in the end, you do more, I've done, focused more on actually designing my game rather than designing posts that are supposed to get people's attention, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Like, uh, and in the same vein, like the uh, GDG Discord channel, 
like it works because the like the feedback you get is usually really direct because there's we have a lot of channels going on. Yeah. Uh, and like there are like different channels to talk on, so people don't usually start talking about different stuff in the same chat. So if you just raise a point, then someone will answer to it like usually pretty quickly and usually pretty shortly. So. Yeah, I'm actually pretty happy with the way that it's been organized and the way that uh, at first when it was new, because I was one of the first people who really was was trying to make use of all the different channels and, you know... Uh, yeah. It's like the, the evolution of it has very quickly become... Every, almost every uh, sub-channel on there gets used constantly and... Yeah. When you, if you don't want to, you know, if you're not in the mood to discuss or try to help somebody on writing, but you mm -hmm. are okay, you know, just talking about the math and the mechanics or the brainstorming or whatever, it's, it does seem to be pretty well organized right now. I'm wondering if, uh, what you think about uh, the idea of a round table discussion. If we want to do a podcast somewhere, if I want to do one in the future where, Everybody piles in, or whoever's interested piles into the the actual like voice channel. Yeah, voice channel. Yeah, we can try that. Like, I would be kind of interested in that. Like, uh, I know that my views would be probably um, well, probably on the very far end of most other people there, but I don't really. Like that doesn't really bother me. Like well, I'm mean, making I'm... game. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're 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 the guy who has never shown. <laughs> I'm the meme of the channel because I've never done anything. I've never shown anything. <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. This podcast is going to be the first thing that I actually put out. So yeah. You know. Yeah. So well, at least now people will actually. Uh, hear the reason reason why you haven't actually like published anything like or on yeah. the or posted anything like that, that's a, that's a good thing like at least we get get an answer for that question. You know what? For I, once. I will say this: I promise I am working on a real game, <laughs> and, and I do want to put it out yeah, soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh my dice just went. Sorry. No, it's okay. Oh, that man. Too much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I believe you. Like, like I believe that you're <laughs> actually working on stuff. No, no, I really do. I really do. And uh, like, I'm interested to see what, what you come up with. So, you know, I've put uh, out. I, I try to tell people I've put out parts of it, and I've, I, you know, I've helped other people with their ideas too. So. You can see I'm not just hanging out there because I think it's cool. I don't know what the, what the alternate idea is of why I'm there. Is is, is well, being in GDG really such a cool place that somebody would go there and pretend like they're working on a game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where all the cool kids at. <laughs> I guess so. Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm not. A more comfortable push it, position in this chair, but yeah. Uh, um, what, what were we talking about? Well, uh, well, GDG in general. So, 
Yeah, like, uh, if we get a roundtable discussion going on, like, uh, that'll be good. Well, probably, like, uh, I would think, what I'm thinking is maybe we'll have, we'll pick a topic, and whoever's there can join it and know that they're being recorded, obviously, for a roundtable discussion. I don't know if you've seen um, Dungeons & Dragons has put out a couple of roundtable discussions with Mike Merles and um, geez, Matt, um, Matt Colville and Matt Mercer and oh. whatever. And so there's like four people at least in this panel, and it's on YouTube. And I found those very interesting. Like even though I kind of hate Dungeons and Dragons, and even Fifth Edition, you know, there's yep. there, I have so many problems with it. It's the, my hating Dungeons and Dragons is what inspired me to make my system in the first place. And but I'm listening I'll to them. Spite. Yep. Yeah, basically. And so as I'm listening to them, they're still the topics they bring up are so interesting. I feel like you could take the same topics that they discuss and take it out of the D&D context and just make a game design discussion and then have a, a, a roundtable discussion with GDG members and it would be interesting to hear different people's opinions. I just think you would need to have a moderator and you know ability to mute people so that when one guy's talking, he's the only one you can hear, stuff like that. I don't really know how to do that on Discord, but that sounds mm. interesting to me. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, you could have a, you could just say people that have a, have that, uh, push to talk on. So, you know, oh, right. they to, Yeah, like, uh, and then hopefully nobody's just there trolling to, uh, you know, yeah. ruin the whole thing. <laughs> and, yeah, probably need to, like, take Monchop with us, so, or hope, you take the boss, yeah. So he can, like, mute people. Uh, well, actually, you can mute people, like, on on your end. And if you mute, it, mute them on your end, they won't get the recording. So, you know, it... Right. I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I plan on uh, talking to more people. I hope that... When would you say um, you're probably aiming to release this on Drive-Thru RPG... Uh yeah, uh, I have a pretty set date on it. Like, of course, I'm not gonna release the, the date like until I'm sure that it will be on that day. Right. Like, uh, if if I get uh, if my possible editor contacts me, and I'll get things sorted out on their end, and uh, then I'll get my artist to make maybe one more piece, and maybe some other stuff. Uh, then I would be planning to... In the next like, two or three months at least, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if I if I get it, get that done, like, layouting the game w- w- wouldn't take that long because it's so short. So if I get those things done before, I'd say, end of this month, then I'll be releasing it. Uh, on fourteenth of May. That's oh, nice. my like. That's like my date 
if I get there. Right, it's a goal you're hoping to reach it in that time, but yeah, there's no yeah. Obviously, there's no set deadline when you're doing it yourself. So yeah, I'm I'm just trying to basically I'm just trying to get it out as quickly as possible because uh, it's been haunting me for one and a half years. Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I've as somebody who's trying to made my shit work for ten years or so, it's. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like a long time at all. I kind of wish that mine was like that, but I've probably for three or so years, I've been much more intensely trying to, uh, develop mm. it. And, and I don't pretend to, you know, uh, have started with a good idea of how to even approach making game design. And GDG has actually really helped to focus things. So, uh, I would say that would be amazing if you could get it done soon, get it out, and I'm sure the GDG will check it out. You'll probably get quite a few people, uh, you know, giving some money for it, and hopefully mm-hmm. it turns out to be profitable. Su- yeah, profitable <laughs> and successful enough that, you know, you can continue to support it if it needs support, and... You'll be yeah. there. You'll be there. You'll be one of the only guys in that channel who has really something to show and really has a final product there. Yeah, like uh, uh, of the people currently in there, didn't someone just pu- publish something quite recently? I think um, I thought maybe that Acroy Diesel got published. Oh yeah, that Acroy Diesel. That yeah, that that got made right. uh, recently. Because they actually then, had a podcast on on SoundCloud itself, I would recommend people go and listen to that. Oh podcast. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then there's uh, Dark God, who is getting closer to completion. I yeah. guess that's what I've heard too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think uh, unless you do, you have anything else you want to talk about? Well. Uh, while we talk about design philosophy, I never actually got to talk about the emergent mechanics thing, actually, because oh, yeah. they are a different thing. Uh, that's actually, like, if we can backpedal a little into that uh, yeah, discussion on GNS and, like, uh, game theories, kind of. Kind of. Uh, that's actually my take, uh, is emergent mechanics as being the centerpiece of every game, even if people don't want to want to admit it, uh, so emergent mechanic means that like uh, it's really simple. It's just when there's two or more mechanics that the interplay of which creates another mechanic. Mm. Like uh, like now that we've talked about it, misfortune has a lot of emergent mechanics, like the whole thing about. Uh, like with plot armor and uh, misfortune. So, like, uh, in a way, you want if you don't have enough uh, trade points, like your meta currency that you use to uh, buy uh, cool stuff, uh, if you don't have enough of it, or you are actually on minus, you. Uh, you want to get to a point where you can safely use it. Uh, and uh, that would actually mean that you need to take negative things to your character if you want to not die. 
it creates like an, another set of mechanics where, or kind of like it's kind of like a table mechanic. What, what happens at the table instead of what is in the book? Like, uh, and you're talking uh, about after character creation, you still have room to edit your character in a sense, and you know dictate what oh, is happening and evolve. Oh, right? oh yeah, oh yeah, that one. Forgot to talk about that one. Because my because misfortune doesn't have character creation. Oh, that 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 was the thing. Like you know, you start your game with your character sheet empty. empty. Oh, because so... uh, <laughs> you don't know anything about your character. Why would there any be anything there? You don't even know their name. Maybe, maybe you do. Do other people know? Does the GM know? No. Okay. Well. Like, uh, because the whole character progression thing in the game, uh, works, uh, on the side that you have, basically you have trait points, uh, which is a number that can go, go in the negatives. Like, uh, you can take, like, if you want to take a trait that you, your character, if you want to reveal a trait, you either gain trade points from it if it's a negative thing, or you lose trade points if it's a positive thing. Right, so when you naturally. say that, I, I naturally start thinking of like something like GURPS, which has advantages and disadvantages of the character, kind of. but that's entirely character well, creation, and like the entire system of GURPS yeah. is just creating the character, really. That's what all the mechanics are basically geared towards. And yeah. this is like... As you're playing, you're deciding your how much you want to emphasize different parts of your character, and then you just have different incentives to even take negatives as you progress. Yeah, yeah, basically. So the like uh, that's why uh, like a week back uh, I was talking about the fact that uh, I was thinking about. Uh, putting some write-ups on different player types that can happen, like different player behaviors that can happen while they play play their, play their the game because the mechanics uh, work the way they are. Like, some people might want to, like, uh, take traits to save their asses. Like, if they're getting beaten, they, they'll take a new trait. <clears throat> they take a new positive trait so they can actually... Uh, roll another die and actually negate that failure. So what would it be an example of a positive and a negative trait? Oh, well, that's the, that's the thing. Like, uh, I'll, I'll take the werewolf example again. Because uh, werewolf as a trait can be either positive or negative. Right. Depends entirely on the context. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, so uh, the name of the trait isn't as important as... Uh, which way it's inclined. So if it's a negative trait, like if you have a negative trait that is werewolf, it means that you turn into a werewolf, and basically it might mean that you go berserk, like you lose control. Whereas if it's a positive thing that you're a werewolf, it means that you can turn into a werewolf at will, basically. Mm. Like you can... So it... Also... Of course, it depends on the context of the game, but the, the, but uh, whoops, 
almost almost went finished there for a moment. Uh, it happens. But uh, so, if a player wants to add like a thing to their character, like a, they can decide whether it's good or bad. And actually, there's things called rising and falling traits. Oh, now, now I'm talking about different things. I wasn't, I don't, I'm not talking about emerging mechanics at all, but whatever. Uh, well, to me, this uh, sounds like emerging mechanics because it happens that while you're playing and you're, it sounds like you don't, you're literally designing mechanics for your own character as you're playing. Yes. Well, of course you can have an idea of what kind of stuff you want to do and then you foreshadow them. And if you foreshadow them, when you reveal them, you get bonuses. But going That's back, the, going back to the the actual just you know idea of emergent mechanics, while you're yes. designing the game, how do you consciously decide, or is it supposed to be accidental, and you just sort of embrace the fact that it's accidental when you're designing a mechanic, and you're like, well, this one does this, and this one does that, and so as players are playing, they're going to have to struggle with, or you know, appreciate that there's sort of a third mechanic that is built out of those two and how they collide? Uh, well, it's kind of a... How do I say it? Um, I lost my uh, train of thought. Uh, well, psychologically, so for- psychologically, you know... If, if you're talking about it that way, um, something like, you know, keeping your health points high is a typical goal of players. And, yeah. and yet, you know, obviously taking risks and endangering yourself is necessary if you want to get experience yeah. points, whatever. And those are separate health and the rewards for taking risks. Is yeah. that the the psychology of the risk reward would that be an emergent mechanic or are you talking about sort of recognizing officially mm. in like rules um a mechanic and designing it designing a mechanic to be emerged or just letting well, things happen it can be both ways like uh some mechanics in my game like like i would say that the fact uh, that the playing a uh, comic relief character who doesn't die is an it's kind of an emergent mechanic that just happens yeah. in a way. Like, but that wasn't really a deliberate thing. But what I think is that those emergent mechanics that come from like you designing the game, like whether they're deliberate or not, they are actually more important than the mechanics that create the emergent mechanics themselves. Because, uh, in a way, if you have the HP and uh, gaining experience thing, you can basically create the same kind of mood that is that you need to risk yourself uh, to gain rewards. You can create that with like lots of different ways. That's the like that's the thing that I'm trying to go at. Is that uh, you should be aware of what kind of uh, emergent mechanics you are creating with the uh, mechanics that you have, and how you could create those would it be fair mechanics w- in another it, way? Yeah, would it be fair or, to to explain that in a different way by saying that what you're creating is not 
necessary. An emergent mechanic might have a more specific definition than what you're talking yeah. about. It would be more like an experience or a uh, byproduct that comes out of these mechanics because uh, it, the experience of the risk reward can be had in many different ways. And it, if you, if that's what you want as a designer is to have the yeah. risk reward, what you're saying is design mechanics mm -hmm. that create that experience and don't be limited to just thinking about one mechanic at a time and, and that sort of a uh, strict mentality, but rather yeah. approach it from as many ways as possible and decide which one is best for creating that experience. Yeah, and which like uh, way of uh, approaching it right. fits better best to the game that you're making. Like some people are so super attached to their own mechanics, like it happens. Like of course you've been honing it for a long time, but uh, sometimes you can recreate the important part of that mechanic, which is how it interacts with other mechanics. Uh, you can like repl replicate that with another mechanic, which just fits better into your game. Sometimes it just happens. I would say that like, that, uh, that kind of touches on the idea of like a holistic design to your game, yeah. where you you try to take the wider view of what you're accomplishing with each mechanic together, rather than well, this mechanic makes sense, and so I'm going to keep it, and this mechanic makes sense, so I'm going to keep it. But they each have their own separate logic. And then when you actually yeah. play the game, you realize that when they when you add them all up, some of them are fighting with the other ones and preventing that experience that you wanted to get out of it. So you almost want to have a goal, an experience goal, which is what you kind of said you did, where you wanted yeah. you know, to... Uh, to have players kind of fit this narrative feeling and yeah. the, the dice system was clearly aimed at the beginning at creating one experience. Yeah, but then I've iterated on it and it has turned into something else. Right, right. By, and by design, like by a, subtraction in a way. In a, in a way, like, uh, like uh, I've taken the mechanics, I've taken them in and out as I've seen how the whole thing comes together. And then, uh, like, you... Um, I can tell you, there was once, a, a, basically, a, almost like a complex co combat mechanic in Misfortune, which is like, why the fuck would, would I even try to do that? Because I my vision was not so clear back then. Right. Uh, so... Uh, what I'm trying to like tell is the like, like in the Game Maker's Toolkit video about design by subtraction. It's important to find the core of the game and try to like uh, strive for it. Like, you don't even have to do it uh, entirely in a holistic sense. Maybe like you don't have to think about it holistically, but you you just gotta think about whether a thing supports the thing you want. Hmm. Like, uh, and then you just gotta, like, in a way, like, the holistic goal of the game, which, like, I want to, I like to design games, like, from the 
like from the top to bottom. Like uh, first define what you want want from the game, and then you start thinking about what kind of stuff I what kind of emotions I want to evoke from my players, and what kind of uh, situations I want the players to like uh, encounter. How I want the uh, GM to run the game. Yeah, it sounds like, like you had a, a you were pretty conscious of what the table experiences and the different roles of people at the table. Yeah, which is different than you know it, it is quite different from people who you know they say this is the genre of story I want to focus on and you know they really don't consider that much the psychology and the roles of the people at the table and how much um, they're starting to work with mechanics and then they sort of wait and see what the experience is at the end because they sort of designed it from the bottom up. Basically. Like, uh, that's also one of the like the main reasons why uh, if you've, <laughs> you've been on GDG, you probably see, like, Someone has asked, what kind of dice system should I use for my game? And I fucking wailed on them. <laughs> because I, I was like, that is not an important question yet. <laughs> because, yeah. but, like, to me, the dice system you use for the game should be, like, a thing that you don't design too eagerly at the beginning. You should only start doing it once you realize what kind of a game you want to make. Like, of course, you can start, you can say that, yeah, I knew what kind of game I wanted to make from the beginning, but I mean, like, uh, from, like, think about first, I had that one line of questions that I drew at some people, like, uh, what kind of, uh, do you want the game to have, like, ability scores? Do you want the game to have, uh, 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 what kind of a like su- success probability do you want the players to have? Do you want people to affect that success probability? And, and like those kind of questions are much more important in the beginning than what shape of dice you use. Yeah, when I hear people ask questions like that, the first thing that comes to my mind is that they must be making such a predictable game that is so similar to others that they don't even realize that they should be asking the question of what the goal of their game is. Because why would you why why would you ask about such a specific thing in a vacuum if yeah there was not a set of assumptions already in place? And I'm a very big believer in you know defining first what you want to accomplish and then find a way to accomplish it. Uh, but when other people just come up with these, like really, that that, that is a perfect example. And you, it happens all the time. And if you go on TG, uh, the actual board on the site, you know, people will do the same thing. They'll just ask, what's what kind of dice should I use for my game? And it's, yeah, it's sad that that's, that's the starting yeah, like, point of their whole creative journey is I'm going to start with a, a dice mechanic and I'm going to let, not only that, but I'm going to let somebody else 
decide for me. I'm going to go here and ask other people. Like, if you did want to make a really creative dice system, why why would you start by just asking other people as if there's an objective, factual, yeah. best solution? Well, people think that things are that easy. Like, like, uh, like the perfect pasta sauces thing, like, uh, you know, uh, what perfect pasta sauce? <laughs> yes. Perf the perfect pasta sauces. There's no perfect pasta sauce. There's only perfect pasta sauces. Uh, or there's no perfect Pepsi. There's only perfect Pepsis, which, uh, means that, which basically means that like, uh, taste is different. Which right. is obvious, but like, uh, even when studied meticulously, like, uh, you're going to get different groups of people liking different things. So you can't really have like, uh, simply the best dice mechanic because that's not like how it works. Right. I mean, one of the ongoing memes and, and I have mixed feelings about it, honestly, because I think people use it. Uh, to get out of answering difficult questions a lot of time, but the idea of the wrong, bad, fun, uh, yeah. and, you know, judging people's preferences and not accepting that there is a whole spectrum of different kinds of players and demographics that want different experiences, and therefore, you know, y nobody's ever in a position to judge what somebody else enjoys, and I feel like that's, that is a very lazy, um, get out of jail card if somebody criticizes you or criticizes an idea and if you don't want to be criticized you can always say that but hopefully yeah. it, you know somebody like like myself i judge myself and my what i do harsher than other people judge it and i'm always trying to uh, anticipate criticisms but i can see people using it both ways uh, one to um, try to explain that the way that you think all the games should conform to is not correct, that there's a whole variety of fun out there. But yeah. the other way is I don't want to have to justify things. Uh, I'm going to say that my game is fun, even if it's really not, and then you can't judge me because I said it was fun, and it's just an opinion. Yeah, like... Uh... Uh, how do I say it? Like, people forget, like, because game design does have objective qualities. Like, like uh, you can have a well-designed and badly designed game, and I think that really just uh, comes down to emergent mechanics. Like, if you know what your what your game is trying to do, and it, if, if it does that well, then the game is succeeding at what it's trying to do and, and it's and that would you know i would say that yeah. it sounds like you're you would also agree with me that you know commercial success and making money while obviously being one of the goals uh, if you're going to make it for sale that yeah. is not the best way of judging whether a game is good or bad yeah of course not like uh like the plethora of people who like uh, hate Numenera, for example, is a it's a good example. Like 
it's a game that divides so much opinions. Like, yeah, uh, there was some of those people who, there were those people who put the 500,000 into his Kickstarter campaign, and then there are people who just see it as goofy and hate it. And, uh, like, uh, uh, you, at that point, you have to, like, kind of look beyond that. Like, you have to look beyond the fact that it was commercially successful and just kind of look at the uh, mechanics and what it's trying to do and whether it's uh, good or bad at it. That brings me I to haven't a... read it, but, yeah. yeah. That brings me to a point that I actually, I wasn't planning on talking about, but it really bothers me now that I think about it, which is yeah. the introduction in the rules of so many RPGs, the introduction is ah. where you should establish what your game is trying to accomplish, right? Yeah, sure. And so people, game designers, you can tell, they write the introductions after their whole game is designed in a way that forgives the shortcomings of it, and they don't acknowledge the the real goals of the game, but instead try to make an argument for why it is successful at what it's trying to do. And it's sort of this, I, I can feel it myself, like if in past versions of my game, uh, if I had written an introduction and tried to pitch it to people, you know, really what I would have been doing at that point, because I wasn't confident in the design, would have been basically making excuses. And then if somebody looks at it and they say, well, this is what the game was trying to accomplish, and yes, it did accomplish it. Well, that was me lying. I didn't really want to accomplish that. But And likewise, you know, the, the explanation in the introduction where, you know, <laughs> almost every RPG does this, where they just say the point of the game is to have fun. So oh, basically, yeah. if you're not having fun, you're not playing the game right. So it's your fault. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's that. That's a bad one. Like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, of course, like all the time. Yeah, of course, having fun is a like it's an important thing because it's a, it's a pastime. It's you know it's a hobby that you do for fun. But at the same time, it's not like a thing you can use to justify things. But doesn't like, it go uh, without saying? Like, it isn't that kind of like yeah. saying that you know food is supposed to taste good and and you know it's like it's so. It shouldn't be said because what you, when you say that that's the goal, now you're, yeah. it's a, it's a built into the instructions of the game. Like I kind of have this this uh, ridiculous metaphor that I try to use, where you know I'm going to design a game where you have four stones, and the the rules of the game are to have fun. That's the rules. You have to have fun. And if you don't have fun, you're not playing the game correctly. But all that there is is four stones, and it's up to you. Good luck. Bye. That's the game. You know, it's like yeah, that is not a game, and and the goal of the game is not clear. Fun is not a goal. Yeah, that you like, can uh, pitch. Yeah, sure. I I understand what you mean in that that regard. Like. Uh, like of course it's good to like uh, mention it that like while you're playing you're supposed to have fun because like that's also like a 
kind of a remedy that GMs can use if someone starts complaining about rules. Right. Because yeah. you're supposed to have fun. Like, you, you know, because people will like become obsessive and to the point where they lose sight of the fact that obviously you're supposed to be having fun. And I think especially for, I think, I don't know, maybe younger people, uh, at least myself when I was younger, you become a little bit too wrapped up in the logic of rules and and being technical and winning and stuff. And as I've gotten older, I've really, you know, if I'm going to use my free time to play a game, I'm going to obviously do what it takes to try to make it fun. Yeah. Like, uh, like recently I, I found the fun in playing extremely flawed characters. Like it's much more fun playing someone who has obvious shortcomings because it just lets you role play more. Mm. And that's, what I derive most of my fun from. So, you know, like, uh, and, you know, uh, incidentally, after I found out how much fun playing flawed characters is, I suddenly make the game about flawed characters. That's, uh... (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. And you did, you know, create uh, a goal for yourself, an experience, a kind of experience you wanted to create, and now... You know, because you had that, really, yeah. in a sense, you are in the best position to judge your own game. But other people, if you're honest about it in your rules of what you're trying to experience and what you've explained here on the on this podcast, you know, yes. pe- people will be able to judge your game much better uh, because of that and decide whether they want to play it, decide whether they want to buy it. And that I appreciate much more than this sort of generic idea of just fun and uh, trying to like avoid the question yes exactly pretty much hmm do we have anything else on the menu right now I don't think no do we we talked about everything yeah Uh, that was a lot of stuff (laughs) yeah and and, Uh, you know probably in the next you know, month or whenever, I would like to come back and do another discussion with you yet, see how you feel about your game after it's yeah. released. Mm. Do we have any any interesting notes to end on? I, I think that that was a quite a valid point to stop. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can stop it here, uh, and, you know, if anybody wants to continue discussing anything we talk about here, we can... To jump on GDG. Yeah. That's the whole point of of that community is that it's always ongoing. So, yeah, that's true. Thanks to anyone who's been listening. Yeah, thank you I very much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for yeah. Uh, for doing this and being the first guest. And and I hope that your game release goes well. Yeah, ho- hopefully it all goes well. So yeah, uh, bye. Bye bye.